0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. When we open this morning, I want to read this prayer. It's out of a book called The Valley of Vision. They're Puritan prayers, which seems like that would be way out of the norm for Um, today Uh, Puritans this was a movement about 500 years ago and they realized that they had a different way of seeing Christ they had a different way of worshiping the Lord and so they jointly gathered together and started writing out their prayers Uh, they've all been compiled that was in the 1880s I believe when they compiled this book of prayer together but uh, this prayer Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, uh, but I see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by the mountains uh, of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox. The way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. The contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. The, re- the repenting soul is the victorious soul. Uh, that having nothing it, it is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is uh, the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime... Stars can be seen from the depths of the wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy star shines. Let me find thy light in my darkness. Let, uh, the, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in the valley. Talks about being in that well. Um, I talk a lot about being in a pit because that's where God came to get me. That's where Christ came and showed himself as real to me. He was in a pit of my own sin, in a pit of my own making, and he brought me up out of there. Now, he didn't just bring me up out of there so I'd be out of there. That would have been sufficient. But he also has called me to learn and to teach and to preach that I am not a preacher. I'm a board banger, a carpenter. I am the lowliest preacher that I know. Uh, there's not a whole lot that uh, I have credentials for. My, all my credentials, all my knowledge, come from reading the Word of God. That's all. It, that's all it is. My ability to stand in front of people, because I'm a shy man, only comes from the Lord, because I have faith that He's with me and that He'll take care of me. That's it. I, don't, I have very, very little uh, to uh, boast about myself. You know, as um, we get going and as I was preparing, my thought was, as we're entering a new year, that we would enter this year humbly, but possessing the power of the grace of God. Because that is the thing. That's the thing that can make us successful. I always, at the beginning of the year, I take account of last year. Last year, business-wise, wasn't bad. (laughs) Last year, ministry-wise, was horrible. It was so up and down and so unstable, I couldn't make sense of most of the stuff that was going on. Our group was shut down twice, uh, once for a long period of time, once for a short period of time, and both times I was extremely angry. Mad at the world and mad at God because I had things to do and people that needed, that, that needed the things I was doing. And he showed me that that's not true. It's not because of what I do, it's because of what he does. No matter what happened to you, around you, um, th- last year, those things all came to us by God's will. They did not. If you're a Christian, the things that come around to you, it's because God allows that to come around to you. There's things that we need to learn, and God wants to teach us those things. He uh, has done that multiple times throughout Scripture. I want to, let's see, we're going to go to 2 mm, 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 mm. Corinthians. Nope, we're going to go to Ephesians. Excuse me. That's 2.8. Uh, for the grace you have for the grace you have been saved, so by grace you have been saved through faith and that uh, not of yourself but as a gift from God the the gift he's talking about isn't God's grace it's faith all faith belongs to God we pervert that by putting our faith and trust in money in jobs, in whatever we can make anything our God if we try. And really, sometimes we don't even have to try. It just happens. But it's a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. If you can believe in Jesus, that's a gift that God imparted to you. And it's only by His grace that He's given it to you. Only by His grace. Uh, let's see. Now we'll go to Second Corinthians. It's uh, verse 9. This is after Paul, he's a uh, He's prayed and begged God three times to remove uh, this thorn in his, in his flesh. And his answer came from Christ. And he, said, and, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ will dwell in me. That's, those are some powerful verses that point to our lack and God's, uh, and God's sufficiency. Those are things that throughout history, throughout the Bible, throughout the American history, throughout all history, those things are, are seen. Uh, James, the brother of Christ, uh, that's arguable in some circles, but I'm saying it every day, anytime I get a chance. James was a brother of Christ. He was one that the apostles all went to for answers when they had stuff that they couldn't understand. They all turned to him, they asked his opinion, and they went with what he said. He was the deal breaker. He was the one that said, this is where we're going to stop. You know, and it, to me, James is part of the Gospels, to me. Um... So, it's James 4, 5. Or, do you think that as Scripture speaks of, to no purpose? He, uh, where it says, he is jealous, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. But, his he gives a greater grace, therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the... To the humble. That's in Proverbs 3, 34. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and, and he will flee from you. We submit to God and then resist the devil. We don't resist the devil and then count on God to back us up. We first go to God. <clears throat> draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands uh, you uh, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Are there any double-minded people in here? While I've been talking, have you been thinking about anything else besides the words that I'm saying? I have been. <laughs> I have. I'm double-minded. God knows that. Uh, be... Uh, be miserable and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom because it's not funny it's not funny but it's the way we're it's the way we're built it's the things that pull us away from god but the thing that brings us back the way the path to his grace to that gift of faith is humble yourself in the presence of the lord and he will exalt you it doesn't mean he might it doesn't say that it says he will if we put ourselves in a humble state god wants to bring us up to a level that we are deserving of heaven that's the exaltation that he wants us to have but the humility that it takes to get there sometimes is impossible if we go back into the old testament I'll show you some proof, or I'll I'll speak of the truth about what I just said. You go back to the story of Joseph. It's in Genesis 36, where he's in the pit. His brothers have captured him and thrown him into a pit because of a dream that he had. A dream that said his brothers were going to bow down to him. That his father and mother were going to bow down to him also. The moon and the stars. Uh, The sun, the moon, and the stars will all bow down to him. This was his dream. They put him in the pit because of that. And so, let's see how great that is. That other prayer that I just read, it talked about being in a well. I didn't know this, but I've checked. And If you're down deep in a well and you look up to the sky, the blue that's in the sky is not real. Okay? It doesn't exist. The farther down you go, the darker it is down there, the blue isn't there anymore. You can see the stars through the sky. Through the blue in the daytime, you can see those stars. I didn't know that was true, but isn't that amazing? How far down I go, how deep that I get driven into this pit, the more beautiful, the brighter those stars are. And God, that's a gift from God to give me hope to give me what my heart desires. But Joseph, he was in this pit. They sold him into slavery. They hauled him into Egypt. He went to work in Potiphar's house doing the worst jobs. Scrubbing the floors, cleaning the toilets, making sure everything's taken care of. And in no time at all, seemingly, he rose to a place of predominance. He was trusted in all the house. So he took the humblest place God lifted him to a higher level, the highest level he could be in that place. Potiphar's wife tried to trick him with sex, with companionship, with this, her own exaltation of him as being equal to Potiphar, and he refused it. Got put into prison and taken back to the most humble state that he could be in. But even in prison, God raised him up to a level that God wanted him to be at. He was not the jailer, but he was next to the jailer. He's the one that took care of the prisoners. He's the one that made sure everybody was healthy, happy, had what they needed. He did for them. Um, He even did for the baker and the cupbearer, and he interpreted their dreams for them. And warned them, warned one, you're going to die. And said to the other, you're going to have your place back. You know, um, I don't know how I would have felt about that. Because more than likely, I would have been the one that had gone too far. And would not be the one getting my place back. Uh, the baker died. The cupbearer came to, to, uh, to Pharaoh's side. And he forgot Joseph. After he'd been asked to remember me. Remember me before Pharaoh. God touched Pharaoh and gave him a dream that terrified him. Seven cows coming up out of the river that were fat, and then seven more coming to destroy them, eat them up. And you couldn't tell if they'd touched them. Seven ears of corn come up, beautiful. And, you know, stalks of corn with seven ears on them, and then another stalk of corn comes up with seven, gaunt ears, seven ears that are withered and, and ravished, and they're taken away. God gave Joseph the interpretation of that dream for Pharaoh, and immediately, if you're reading in the Bible, immediately after he'd done that, Pharaoh took him and said, we don't have another man around here like you at all. We're going to take you. We're going to put you in the place of saving our land by what you say this dream has. Because the dream was given to Pharaoh twice. So it was something God was going to do and do immediately. So the seven years came of good stuff. And Joseph saved the world by saving the food. Didn't take all of it. He took 20%. They stored it up. And then when the seven bad years came, the whole world was coming to Egypt to buy food. And his brothers came from Canaan, to bow down to him to buy food. His dream was true, his dream was real, and that's what happened. God saved Joseph not to save the world. The grain that belonged to Pharaoh saved the world. Joseph didn't own that grain and he never claimed to own that grain. He was the one that distributed it, but he did not own that grain. Pharaoh owned that grain. Pharaoh saved the world. Joseph saved 70 members of his family. 70 members of his family. And at the end of Exodus, when that 70 members of the family, 400 years were ready to leave, it was over a million people. God saved Joseph to save Israel. And Israel is what God's chosen plan to save us. The message of Israel, where Christ comes out of, that is the message that saves us. If you look in Judges, think about Samson and his story. He was born strong. His parents were all beyond age to give birth, but they had a child. They gave him as a Nazarite to, uh, to be a servant of God. And he grew into this massive man that could beat up donkeys or beat up anything that came across his path. He killed lions with his bare hands. He, he beat hundreds of people with a jawbone of an ass. And threw it so far away that it could not be found. When he was done. He was a Nazarite. He didn't cut his hair. I'm not a Nazarite. I'm protesting against the COVID thing. So when this is all over with, I'm going to shave down like, like that, maybe. I doubt it, but <laughs> it scares my wife to death when she thinks about that. So it's good to keep her on her toes. Uh, anyway, he, he brought himself up to a level where he was the big cheese. And he thought he was the big cheese. And he took advantage of women. He took advantage of the people around him because he was tough and nobody could tell him what to do. God had a different plan and used a meek woman that had been taken advantage of by, by uh, Samson to cut his hair and to bring him to the lowest state that he could be. He was then put into slavery to mill grain. Um, the strongest man in the world was brought to that point by the world. While he was there, God, took, God saw his plight. God saw what was going on. And he humbled himself and asked God to use him and to let him die for God. And when he did, 5,000 of the Philistines died with him in a temple where they were... Um, They they were ridiculing God and and believers. They were they were ridiculing. uh, They were turning away from God, and God used Samson in that way, by exalting him to a place that he belonged. Now he died there. Saul, in in uh, First Samuel, Saul gets anoint. He gets a kingdom laid in his lap, the first king of Israel, and he gets it laid in his lap because he was tall and he was beautiful and people looked up to him because he was six or eight inches taller than everybody else around him. He had all that laid at his feet. He had Samuel to teach him and to show him the way to go. And Samuel gave gave him direct directions on how to serve God how to sacrifice to God and when it should be done and what he should wait for and the signs that it took to serve God properly. (laughs) Saul, in all his brilliance, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, (laughs) he decided to sacrifice by his own will, by his own doing, and lost his kingdom that way. A kingdom that he didn't earn, didn't build, He really didn't have a lot to do with it except be a pretty man. And he lost his kingdom. He did not get dethroned immediately. He had a long reign. He had a long time to do that, but his kingdom was never left to his family because God searched for and found a man after his own heart. That man was David and he was a boy. He was a boy, a shepherd boy, that was out in the, I can just see him out in the field throwing rocks or sling, you know, practicing with his slingshot, uh, taking care of sheep. But he had, he had a diligence, he had the mindset of God that these animals that he was taking care of belonged to his father, which was his daddy, not the father, but his dad. And he wanted to take care of those sheep the best way he could, which endangered his life multiple times. He would pull dead, crying, or you know, bleeding lambs out of a lion's mouth and kill the lion so the lions didn't get a flavor for those lambs. He did it with wolves. He did it with lions. I don't know if he killed a bear or not. That was Daniel Boone. Yeah? Maybe. I'll have... But Daniel Boone's not in my Bible. Uh, Anyway, um, but as a child, he did that. Now, when it came to be his time, he went as a servant of his dad to go serve his brothers cheese and give the commander of that army a present so his brothers weren't put in harm's way to hopefully keep them in a safe spot Because dad had given the major or the commander of the army cheese. Hey, bribes work well, I guess. But that's what that was about. That's where David saw Goliath demeaning God and demeaning the people of God. And the people of God being terrified because of this giant man, bigger than Saul by far. Somebody told me that he was like nine foot nine and weighed an excess of 600 pounds. This would have been a giant today still, definitely, and not somebody that I'd really want to poke around on, but God takes the most humble of all the warriors that were there and uses him to sling one stone and hit the giant in the head and kill him the stone I don't believe killed him, I believe cutting his head off is what killed him. Either way, he died. And David was brought up to a higher level. Saul tried to bring him up to a higher level and David wouldn't have it. The, your armor, is a, the armor that they wore, that was a sign of their prosperity. That was a sign of their standing in the community And Saul gave his armor so David could wear it, and David said, man, I'm too little, I can't wear this. He had more respect for Saul than we show for any Republican or Democrat official in our country now. And Saul, even though David did everything he could to serve Saul by killing that giant, he was serving God, but it also worked out that he was serving Saul as he did that. David was commissioned to play a harp for Saul so his headaches would go away because after he lost the kingdom uh, back in uh, chapter 16, he started having these headaches and he started having some painful stuff. I don't know if it was migraines or what it was, but God afflicted him with that for the rest of his life. But David playing the harp and singing to him could ease that pain. I would be so grateful for somebody to take away a migraine from me that how could I even think about doing them harm? But Saul tried to pin him to the wall several times with a spear because he was afraid that David had more. He knew, I believe he knew that David was the anointed one of God. That he was the one that was going to take over that kingdom. I'm not sure that it says that. I don't believe it does. But just if you just looked at the facts and the time, this was probably what was going on. David was the one that went out and killed 10,000. And Saul killed 1,000. People respected David more than they did the king. Because he saved them from an in, uh, an impending danger that was going to overpower them or overthrow them he saved them from that they tried to exalt david to a higher place and he did not accept that saul tried again by giving him his daughter well i can't marry her what is it for me to be to marry into the king i'm just a poor shepherd i'm just a poor poor boy that this this is an honor that i'm not worthy of so he would refuse that. He did marry one of Saul's daughters, but it took quite a bit, and he paid a sacrifice for that. He had to go to war. He had to mutilate men and bring back body parts to prove that he'd done that. They asked for 100. He gave him 200 because he, he was appreciative of Saul, and he held Saul in high regard because God held Saul in high enough regard to make him king of Israel. In David had to run away from Saul so he didn't die. God protected him, took him out of there. Jonathan helped out, Saul's son, helped him out to escape. And from that time on until Saul died, he lived in exile. And he had four to 600 men with him most of the time. But he had 400 men in a cave with him one time, hiding from Saul when Saul was pursuing him. And Saul had to go to the bathroom. And he came into the cave where this 400 men were at uh, to relieve himself. Now, David had 400 voices telling him, this is your time. This is what God has planned for you. This is what God, God's prepared this for you. He's handed it to you on a silver platter. Kill him. And he listened a little. He went up and he clipped off the edge of Saul's robe. I imagine that David felt so guilty from doing that. Saul walked out of that cave. And the guys behind David were saying, why didn't you kill him? This was our chance. We could have got out of here. We could have been somebody. We could have done something. God would have given us this, all of this to us. But that wouldn't have been it. It would have been David gave it to him. Because he stole it from Saul. If he would have took his life. David wouldn't do that. He came out of the cave and he he called to Saul and pretty much just gave himself up. Because coming out of that cave, there's a reason they were in there. There's an army out there looking for him. He comes out and he says, hey, Saul, I'm sorry, but I cut this off your cloak. He humbled himself in front of Saul and said, I'm sorry, and he gave himself up to die. And Saul said, "Wow, well, I am never going to chase after you again. I'm never going to do you any harm ever again. Within a few sentences in the Bible, Saul's chasing him again, ready to kill him one more time. You know? Twice David could have killed Saul. He didn't do it because he respected that. So David, in all his humility, because he practiced being humble. I don't know that that was always his intent, but he practiced being humble. When he stopped practicing being humble, when he stayed home from going to battle with Israel after he had the kingdom in his control, he didn't go out with the soldiers, the men of Israel, to fight. He stayed home because they said, stay home, we got this. We'll go fight. You stay home. And that's where Bathsheba comes into play. David let his own lust he allowed his own depravity to take him away from the humility that he had been practicing. He thought himself higher and more exalted than everybody else. He allowed the society that he was in and in charge of to lift him to a higher place. (sighs) He learned a really hard lesson. Because in that higher place, he took Bathsheba and got her pregnant. And then he called for Uriah the Hittite to come, because this was Bathsheba's husband, to come and lay with her so we could cover up my mistake. Well, that didn't work out. Because Uriah was a faithful and honorable soldier. A man of God. He was not the average luckful guy that you find in the bar. He's the guy that wouldn't go sleep in his bed because his companions and his commander, they were sleeping in a field, so he slept on the stairs. He didn't go to be with his wife because these guys were eating whatever they could find. He didn't go to have big meals. He didn't do any of that stuff. So David, with his own power sent Uriah the Hittite back to be murdered. Told the commander of the army, put him in a place where the worst battle's going on. And send me word that he's dead. He knew he was going to die. And he did it on purpose. To cover up as guilty as he felt when he cut off the edge of Saul's robe, how much more would you multiply that to the murder of one of your most devout servants, one of your most devout warriors? How much more guilt would you feel? How deep would that pit of depravity and despair and disgust with yourself be? So David's in this pit of despair. And uh, I don't know that he realized it until Nathan the prophet came and said, Hey, man, I know what you did. And gave him a story about somebody taking everything from a man as a meaningless gift for a nothingness to this rich man. And he said, Well, that man must die. (laughs) And Nathan said, That's you. That's what you did. That pit had to have been so deep by then. His pit of despair had to have been so deep by then. The only thing that he could have seen out of that would have been the stars that he saw from the bottom. of it. And the only reason he would have got to see that is because the grace of God was showing him that. That I'm still God. Do what is right. I'm still God. No matter what you've done, do what's right. I'm still God. David did admit what he did. David did try and make amends for that. He could could not repair that. But by the grace of God and him humbling himself because of the grace of God, he was taken back to his standing and he held a different position, higher than his position as king, but as a holy king. He was taken to that point where he was Um, he was who God was making him to be. He was actually being the man after God's own heart. That, to me, is fantastic. David didn't do that. He didn't make himself out to be that. No matter what he did, he he is not the one that made himself a man after God's own heart. God's grace gave him that through faith. Through his faith in God, he received that. All these things that I'm telling you about, these Old Testament guys, these things that happened so, so long ago, they are all so relevant in our lives today, it breaks my heart to think of the man that I am. Because the man that I am, I'm lustful. I want what's not mine. I am deceitful. I will lie to get what's not mine. I am a man that will hurt people to have my own way. But for the grace of God, I now can keep my hands to myself. I now can admit that this is who I am. This is what could happen. If I didn't tell you that I was a lustful man after your stuff, would you have thought that I was a lustful man after your stuff? I think everybody's that. I'm paranoid as heck. So, everything I have is free. You can have it. All of it. I don't care. None of it is worth anything to me. Nothing. If somebody steals from me, it hurts, and I'm mad, and it's, hmm. But by the end of it, Lord, he must have needed it more than I did. I only needed it bad enough to pay for it. He needed it bad enough to risk his life to steal it. From a man that would kill him for doing that. (sighs) That kind of humility does not come from my own power. That kind of humility and that kind of stuff. Only comes by faith and the grace of God. The grace of God is more powerful than anything that we can even imagine. And he wants us to experience that. Over and over and over again. So as I go into the new year as we go into the new year, contemplate on what things in your life you're holding in a higher state than you are God. You know how long it takes to read your Bible? You know how long it takes to read cover to cover in the Bible? Huh? Okay, I'm dyslexic, so it takes me twice that long. I've timed it, I've timed, I I know, I know how much, I know how much time it is. Really, it comes down to the fact of if you have six minutes, if I have six or eight minutes a day, I can read the Bible in a year, in a year. How many of you have read the Bible in a year? Okay, I, I don't know why people don't. There's so much there, there's so much richness there, but except for, My time is so so important. You know, that's six minutes, I got video games that have to be played. Because I know those little balls that are in there that I'm shooting down, those are gonna kill somebody, I'm just sure of it. We're gonna get piled up with them and you're gonna lose the game. Well (laughs) I haven't haven't been killed from it yet. I've lost a game a few times. There's that. I gotta get on my bike. I need to go for a ride. Well I go for a ride, but my wife can't go with me. Her health doesn't allow her to get on the back of the bike like she'd like to most of the time. So I don't go. I'll bypass that, you know, because it's the right thing to do. I love my wife. I want her to go along. And if she can't go, it's not as much fun as if I you know. I'd rather not go by myself. So those things, I'll sacrifice for my family. I'll sacrifice all kinds of things for my family. I didn't buy anybody a Christmas present this year at all. And if you ask my grandkids, they'll say that they got stuff from Papa. But my wife makes the little tags out and I don't do it. I give away everything every day. Every day. That's not because of what I can do. It's because of the heart that God's changed inside of me. He's taken a heart of stone, and he's given me a heart of flesh that really bleeds for other people. I see other people's needs, and I understand that these things are sometimes impossible for people. Or I have an abundance, and I really don't need an abundance. I don't. I need food. God God fed the birds. He does every day. I need food. I need shelter. I have that. I've been blessed with a beautiful little house. It's a little house, but it's beautiful. And I love it. It's, I don't love the house. I love the roof over my head that keeps me warm and dry. The house doesn't really mean that much to me. I've already given that away, so you can't have that. Somebody else owns it. Um, and it's my granddaughter, and she won't give it up to you. So That's okay. <laughs> it's hers. Anyway, my whole point today is as we go into this new year, take those things that you're putting above or before the Lord and put them in a proper perspective. Use them as they should be used on this earth, not as they should be held on to, clung to, worshipped, because they're things of this earth and they will not pass through the fire. The only thing that will... Pass through the fire is the relationships that we build with people and the the people that we introduce to Christ. Those things will pass through the fire, and those are the gold bricks that we're laying in heaven. The gospel of Christ is not just for those who receive the gospel of Christ. It's for those who share it too. Heaven is built on people sharing the gospel. The buildings in, in heaven, they're built by that. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. It might be clouds. It might be gold. I don't know. I do know that there won't be any need for light because Jesus and God will be there together. And the Holy Spirit that's inside of me that longs to be in heaven will be at home. At home. That's what I want. So as we go into this next year, focus your eyes on home. The home that's really home, not the home that grandma made, not the home that mom made, not the home your wife made, not the home you built, but the home that God's prepared for us from the beginning of eternity, which I don't know when that was, but it might have been a minute ago, might have been a million years, I don't know, I don't know, but that's what we have to look forward to. Now, as the band comes forward, I want to tell you that we're going to be passing communion around. I do not know who the ushers are, but the ushers will be passing communion to the tables. Please, uh, as we're receiving communion today, where's the band? Are they coming? Here, Here they come. They're slow. And I didn't tell you I was all the way done. Okay, They're going to be passing communion around. I do want to say a little prayer over this church, over everybody that's heard any word that I said, and then we'll go on with the communion. I thank you, Father. I just thank you for the ability, the opportunity, the chance to preach your word today. Lord, I'd ask that you would, with the soft hearts, the open minds that you've given us, that you would infiltrate and bring us to a point of understanding, a point of humility, and a point of recognizing through faith the real grace of God the grace of God that's for us today and for eternity. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. Uh, Lord, please, as we receive communion, uh, allow us to really commune with the Jesus Christ, that we would know him, uh, that the Holy Spirit would be satisfied with our worship and praise toward Jesus. Uh, Lord, that you would be our God is a pleasure and an honor to us. And we'd ask the Lord that you would just continue today Uses in ways that will glorify the name of Jesus. It's in His name I pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.